I love that song so much. I especially love that line, love is not a victory march, but it's a broken and it's a cold hallelujah. Now that speaks to me in two different ways. Um, one, that love, love is not a victory march. Love and life is not a means to an end, which is what many of us grew up with. And I mean by that, that the point of our life, the goal of our life is not to win something. It is not to win some reward in heaven and in an afterlife. In all of our striving for our next seasons and trying to get somewhere else besides where we are, in all of that striving, I believe that we have missed out on life here. We've missed out on much of life now. And the other part of that, love is not a victory march, but it's a broken and it's a cold hallelujah. I remember being deeply touched by hearing a, a guy sing that last year. We sang it in prisons on a prison tour in Florida. And every time he sang it, I thought about in each stage of our life and where those inmates were in that moment and where you are today, in each and every moment, each stage of our life deserves a response, whether it's easy or it's hard, whether it's warm and comforting or it's broken, it needs attention. This moment right now deserves response. So as Antonio just beautifully and hauntingly sang hallelujah, that can be both a declaration, right, of gratitude, or it can be a broken response simply. But either way, you were saying, I am here. I am still here in this moment responding, still breathing, and still living. So today we're going to talk about eternal life, and we're going to talk about it. But for most of us, when we've thought about or we think about eternal life, we're thinking about what happens beginning in death. What happens beginning after life ends on this earth. So eternal life for us, we think about then eternal reward or eternal judgment. We think about heaven and hell as destinations that will be then the consequences of how we have lived our life here. I said in my teaser video earlier this week that for many of us, because we have focused our lives upward on the goal of heaven, that we have literally focused our eyes upward to where we thought God was here, that God resides above. Think about it. When we sing or when we talk about God, we often look up. When we lift our hands, we're not often lifting them out. We're lifting them up to God. We have made all of our efforts focused here, and I believe that we have missed out on life right here and right now. And I said in the video, and I'll say it again today, we need to stop looking up and we need to look down. We need to look out and see the beauty of the lives and creation that is here with us, and we need to be able to look in. Because I know wholeheartedly now that God is here, infused in me and you, infused in this life. And because of that, I know that you and I are going to start then this eternal life right here. That we are living in the midst of eternity. That eternal life is now. And take that in for a second because that's different for some of us. It's a different way of viewing it. Look at this quote by Blaine Pascal. It says, man or woman is equally incapable of seeing the nothingness from which he or she emerges as the infinity in which he or she is engulfed. We are engulfed right here in eternity, surrounded by it. And now for many of you probably, you wanted me to speak on the afterlife in regards to eternal life. And I did a message specifically on that a year and a half ago. And so I'm going to repost that on the community page if you missed that. But to sum that up and to focus our thoughts on today, I would tell you that my belief is there will be no life after death, 
unless there has been meeting in your life before death. There will be no life after death unless there has been meaning in your life before death. That you and I, that we have a daily and really moment by moment, breath by breath, continual opportunity and invitation to our life, to eternal life now. So I have a couple of questions for you today. First, think about your mindset towards life. Are you often focused on your past? Do you feel weighed down by either choices that were made that affect you or by your own choices that you have made? Are you focused solely or often on the past? How past focused are you? Second question, think about how often you're focused on the future. How often we play out scenarios in our mind that we dread what's coming. Do you ever do that thing where you know that you're going to see someone and you know you're probably going to get into an argument and so you play it out in your head, right? You know exactly what they're going to say. You know what you're going to say back in response. It never really ends up that way though, right? But we often do that. We're thinking about it. We're mulling on it. So how much time are you spending focused on the future, How much time are you worrying or are you anxious? And for some of us, we even lose sleep over this, thinking about what the future is holding for us. And then all of a sudden you realize and you become aware that time has passed, that you've been coasting through your life and that you have not lived your life. You've missed something. Third question, if you are good on focusing on the now of your life, I wonder then what is your approach to life? What is your approach to life? Do you view life, do you view life here and now as a battleground for you to conquer, a place for you to achieve? Or do you view life as a playground for you to enjoy and for you to thrive? Big difference. What is your outlook on life in general? See, we often know we are alive and we often know that we will die. We cannot have one without the other, right? And we seem to be aware of that. That's why we as humans, I think we count our years But I wonder, though, as you count your years, as another birthday comes closer for you, are you realizing that you're just one step closer to death? Is that what you're doing when your birthday comes? Or is it a year and a time to celebrate your life? Okay, big difference. Do you dread birthdays coming? I know some of you do. We talk about it. Or do you look at this birthday, this day that's here to be a unique observance of your contribution to the beauty of this life? And as you consider your answer to all of those questions, past uh, focus, future focus, now focused, am I at a battleground or am I at a playground? As we consider those answers, I've been wondering as I've been preparing for this message, in all of our longing for heaven, of this place where there is no pain and no more sorrow, of this place of prolonged ecstasy and wonder, I wonder if we can turn our attention from here to here into this life if we can mine the very depths of our life, if we can listen and we can pay attention to our own lives and then hear the echoes of eternity. In that pining for a place, I think we will discover that heaven points not to something external to us, but to something that is a part of us. And we've talked a lot about that here, that this eternal life though, we believe that it will continue after death And I know many of us sense that. We sense when our loved ones have gone on or gone deeper in, however you want to view it. And that's why I think we still sense their presence sometimes, just as we sense God's presence. Let's look at this quote by John Shelby Spong. Our religious journey is not a journey into an external deity, 
but a journey into the heart of our humanity where we break out of our separation fears and enter into the meaning of transcendence, of oneness, of timelessness, and finally, eternity. So once we begin to understand that the enhancement of life, that our life and others, that that is the very point of life, that we are here to enhance our life, to live abundantly. When you recognize that, it's at that point that you begin to relax. It's at that point that you begin to settle in and you find rest and peace. It's at that point that I believe you begin to laugh more. It's at that point that you realize that this life is a playground and it's not a battleground. Playgrounds now, right, think about it. They're more fun with people. The constant cry of kids is, can so-and-so come over today and play with us? They want to play with people. Years ago, Ben and I bought that huge Costco playset, you know, the monkey bar slide sandbox, the big combo. And my dad, um, Rick, worked on it tirelessly for three days to put that thing together. And I'm not really sure where Ben was, but I'm pretty sure we don't trust him with the hammer and nails often. He has other strengths. Yes, you do, Benny. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> but on Hutch's birthday morning, I think it was his fourth birthday, they woke up and there was a gift for both of them then because Haven's younger. And they ran outside and literally they had played on that thing day after day, even in the bitter, bitter cold of winter, either that or this huge trampoline, which is probably our best investment as parents ever. So if you parents invest in a trampoline. But they play on it. And for Hutch and Haven, they have built-in playmates, right, because they have brother and sister. But also we used to live right next door to the Haley's. And Alice and Haley, their daughter, would literally come over every day right after school. Our kids wanted to play together. And often their enjoyment of play would turn a little bit when they would turn into doing a competition of some sort. Because in a competition, in that what will become a battleground mentality, someone has to win, yay, and then someone has to lose, right? And so it turns from simply the joy of playing into I must win, and it changes and alters the situation. And I would talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but another example is Hutch and Haven started dance again this past couple of weeks, and they went back into hip-hop. They do hip-hop and breakdancing, all these fun things. But Hutch started hip-hop, and he came out of the first class with his new hip-hop teacher, and he said, Mommy, my teacher said I do not have to practice. And I was like, really? Did he really say that? And he said, yes. He said, he told me to go home and dance. He said, whatever I feel, whatever moves I want to make, I am to listen to the music and not practice, but to dance every chance I get. Friends, that's playground mentality. That's not battleground. And there's a huge difference. I read this incredible book in preparation um, for this series, and it was written in the 80s. It's called Finite and Infinite Games, and Paul Johnson recommended it to me. And it's written by this man, James Carson. In it, he plays out this idea of what I'm saying, playground and battleground, but he calls it finite and infinite. And so for those of us who view life as battleground or we view it as a finite game, life is serious. Life is serious. And for those of us who view life as playground or as infinite game, life is joyous and it's light. A battleground outlook on life is driven by the purpose of winning and a playground outlook on life is driven by the purpose of continuing the play and of bringing others into that with us. A battleground mentality is one of conquering. So it does need others to play the game, but it needs others to play so that you can win. That's why they're there. It needs others to play so that at times we can bring the speech or the voice of another to silence because you want to win, you want to be heard, you need to be heard, and you need to achieve. 
but a playground mentality. It's a way of continuing play and discourse with other people. It's a way of simply being in the world and not needing titles or accomplishments or trophies to feel fulfilled. These things will come, but they do not make us who we are. That's the difference. So James, the author, says the players of finite games are not properly alive because they are competing for life. They're competing for life. Life then is not about play. It's about the outcome of play. So battleground people, they play to live, but they do not live their playing. Life is therefore deserved. It is bestowed. It is possessed. And it is won. But it is not lived Infinite play, however, playground people, they live in complete openness, and openness as in vulnerability. They have complete freedom. And it makes me think of that quote by Rousseau that says, man is born free, but everywhere is in chains. Man is born free, but everywhere is in chains. See, when we recognize our freedom, freedom comes not by opposing one another, You're not free if you're in opposition. My freedom does not depend on your loss of freedom. My freedom inherently affirms your freedom. That's the difference. So then for battleground people, they have to have boundaries then. They have to have walls to keep people in or out, to keep score. So life then is the means to an end. And that's what so much of us, so much of our traditional religious thinking has been about, that the goal of life is about the afterlife and heaven. It is not about here. But for playground people, we recognize that life is the end, that life is the point, that we were made for here and now. And then again, we intuit that after death, that everything that was good and beautiful about here will continue. That's what we hope for and strive for. And so my challenge to us today is to be infinite players. Let's be playground people. And the attributes of people like that are a joyfulness. Again, it's the ability to laugh. It's the willingness to be surprised. Oh, to be surprised by mystery that we don't have all the answers. And it's trusting that every moment holds within it endless possibilities and opportunities to begin yet again. There's this beautiful prayer by Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. I want to look at it. It says, above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet it is the law of all progress that is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. It goes on to say, and so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what time, and that is to say grace and circumstances acting on your own goodwill will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. See, we are beloved and we are also becoming beloved. Henry Nouwen talks a lot about that. We are beloved in our nature and we are also growing and becoming beloved. We are here and we have the opportunity to be more, but we let that come to us and we accept it when it does. 
Think about a horizon that we see. The author James Carr says it's a phenomenon of vision. By definition, a horizon is the line at which the earth's surface and the sky that they appear to meet. But this horizon, if you think about it, it's not a line in which we will finally cross. It's not an end or a place to which we will finally land. The horizon encloses no field to remain in. The horizon constantly moves with our days and with our vision, with wherever we find ourselves. Now, we can turn away from that vision. We can ignore it. We can replace vision with opposition, which would be that battleground mentality, the the need then for us to oppose something or to be against something, or... Or we can declare that the place on which we stand right here, right now, is both timeless and sacred. It makes me think of that beautiful poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning that says, Earth is crammed with heaven. Every common bush is a flame and a fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest go around picking blackberries. Do you see today? This earth is crammed with heaven and with eternity, and if we would recognize it, we would take off our shoes. So can this moment be holy ground when you and I would realize that we can take our shoes off at any second for this is it, for God is here and there is something beautiful right here, right now. And then we will realize also that with that horizon, we will constantly have more vision and more spectrum of opportunities for you and I. So in doing so, we will not just begin to see differently We will begin to behold, we'll begin to be able to gaze in awe and in wonder at the beauty of this life. And so a question I have for you today, and I want you to look at it, ask yourself, have I approached life, all of life, not as a journey to success, but as a destination for wonder? Have you approached life, not as a journey to success, but as a destination for wonder? Abraham Joshua Heschel said, our goal should be to live life in radical amazement, to get up every morning, look at the world in a way that takes nothing for granted. Everything is phenomenal. Everything is incredible. Never treat life casually because to be spiritual is to be amazed. To be spiritual is to be amazed. See, our goal is to see Our goal is to be aware. And interestingly enough, the word Hades, it's erroneously translated into hell, right? But it literally means not to see. Hades means not to see. Talk about living in a hell right here and now. What do you not see? What do you not see? Rumi has this great quote that says, past and future, they veil God from our sights, so burn them both up with fire. Past and future, what are you not seeing? Our heart's desire should be, oh, help us to see, to behold, help to unveil things. In Ephesians 5.13, it says, everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for everything that becomes visible is sight and is light. That notion is beautiful. Everything that becomes visible becomes light. So on the other hand, if we think about besides the word Hades, the Greek word translated heaven, it literally means to encompass, to surround, or to have within. And cue Jesus' words, the kingdom of God is within you. See, this word meant expanse. And so when we think about heaven then, can we think about it as representing this principle of expansion, 
Think about the examples that it's given in our sacred text, the mustard seed. With this tiny seed within it, there's a capacity for a very large plant. Another example used is of leaven or yeast in the bread analogy. And yeast is this living animal. And when it is heated in the presence of a food source, think like the dough of bread or sugar when making beer or wine, it grows and it reproduces, it expands. So used figuratively, this spreading influence is what then is typically concealed inside. So this heaven that is inside of us, this life then is about growth and expansion and unfoldment. So we need to know then that we are alive, yes, but do we know our eternal capacity that's within us? Eckhart Tolle says, the goal of spiritual leaders is to remind you what you may have forgotten, this living knowledge, ancient and ever new. It's then activated and released within every cell of our body. So as we continually think about eternal life and we think about heaven and hell, since earliest times we have rationalized at times as humans the inequities of this life by this dream of a future life where all things will be made right. But often, and listen, often this has led us off the hook to do anything about life here. Think about it. Think about how for many of us, and maybe many outside of this room specifically, creation care has been low on our priority list because, sigh, we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth, right? So we don't need to think about here and now. So we can, in essence, destroy this earth because we're going to get a new one. In the book, The Power of Now, Tolley says, if you operate under the implicit assumption that the highest good lies only in the future, then our ends will justify the means that we use. For example, it is estimated that as many as 50 million people were murdered to further the cause of communism, to bring, bring about this better world in Russia and China and other countries. And this is a chilling example of how a belief in a future better place, a future better heaven even, created a present hell. So this then, this brings us back to this idea and this question, is most of our doing in this life simply a means to an end? Are you justifying your actions and your attitudes because of an outcome that you long for? Are you always focused on becoming and achieving and attaining? I ask you today, can you ever just be? Do you ever just allow yourself to be? See, for our Jewish brothers and sisters, everything lives under the rhythm of God. They pray not to transcend reality, but to embrace reality. To tune into the human life for them is to tune into God. So our goal should be the same. To not just be an observer of our life, to be an audience to ourselves, but to be a true participant in our life. Think about that verse in Mark where Jesus says, it's Mark 10, 25. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, but I've asked, what does that mean exactly? What does it mean? And Alan Watts has this great perspective. He says, in the eternal now, we shall find that straight and narrow gate. We shall find that needle's eye through which we are taken into the infinite life of God. So then the rich man, the rich man can't get through this door. He cannot enter into the eternal now because he carries too much baggage with him. Not because he is in fact wealthy, but because he thinks being wealthy is who he is. He's focused too much on his past or his future achievements, and he has missed out on this doorway into the now. 
this idea of being present to our lives. It means that we are being first. We are not doing and we are not telling, but we are being. Think about our names. Names like titles, right? They're both given to us. We don't name ourselves. We can't do that. Some of us change our names later. But unlike titles, which are given for what we have done, a name is given at birth at a time when a person cannot yet have done anything, right? And so they're given not at the end of our play, which would be a title. They're given at the beginning. So beloved, beloved is a name that we all share And even before it's Melissa or Sarah or Chris or Rich, both of those things, beloved and your name, inherently imply worth in this life. See, when we're known first by our titles, when you're known by teacher or pastor or police officer or you're known as father or child or dancer or wife, whatever it is, when you're known by that first, the focus is on your completed past. But when you're known by your name... The attention then gives, it's a focus on an open future. And whenever we can address each other by name, we are ignoring the script. But we are offering an open invitation to relationship together. We leave today right after church and head over to Arkansas to go to do four prisons this week with Timothy's gift. And often um, within the concerts, there's this moment in the middle of the concerts where we always introduce the team, we introduce ourselves, and then I ask the inmates, introduce yourself. And they're always really hesitant because, for one, they're not used to just speaking up out of turn. For two, they are not used to being known by their name. They're not used to being known by their name. They're known by their number. They're known at sometimes by their crime. But when we give them opportunity to proudly stand up, introduce themselves, and speak their name, and I in turn say, it's a pleasure to meet you, sir. It's a pleasure to meet you. We are in a small but in powerful way basically inviting them back to their own humanity and inviting them back to their own life. And that moment was and always is a surprising gift to all of us. It touches us deeply. And when we are truly touched by something, it's as if we are finally responding and they are finally responding from my center to theirs, from their center to mine. We are responding as whole people. And true openness and touch, it can break through our masks. It can break through our titles. It can break through our veils. And it's where true healing occurs, I believe. So playground people infinite game people. We understand that life and we understand life needs vulnerability. I love Brene Brown and she says vulnerability is not weakness. Vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation and creativity and change. See, infinite game people understand wholeness. I love Brene's manifesto of wholehearted living and I want us to look at it together. It says wholehearted living is about engaging with our lives from a place of worthiness. It means cultivating the courage, compassion, and connection to wake up in the morning and think no matter what gets done and how much is left undone, I am enough. It's going to bed at night thinking, yes, I am imperfect and vulnerable and sometimes afraid, but that doesn't change the truth that I am also brave and worthy of love and belonging. See, by being open, we can learn more about ourselves and in turn learn learn more about others because then we can grow. If we are honest and open with ourselves, that is opportunity for growth. 
So in the book Finite and Infinite Games, the author reminds us that in the story of Eden, that God did not do the gardening for them. It was only a garden because they could be responsible for it, because they could respond to it. It says God did breathe life into them, but then they had to do their own breathing to continue their life. So we have work that is ours to do, friends. We have work that is ours to do, but our work is not just for the passing of time. It engenders possibility for us. Alan Watts says, this is the real secret of life, to be completely engaged with what you are doing in the here and now, and instead of calling it work, realizing it's play. It's play. A wonderful practice that we can begin doing in this moment to become aware, um, to recognize life, is to think about the simple task in which we do every day. Don't think about them as a means to an end. Think about washing dishes, which I hate doing, if I'm being honest. Ben's back there, he's laughing. See, I call out myself as much as I call out you. Yes, yes, yes. But think about when you wash dishes, right? Instead of just washing them to get it done with, can we stop and feel that water? Can we take in that moment and breathe and recognize whether it's cold or hot? Can we bring gratitude into that moment? Think about when you're going to sleep at night. Can you feel your body on the bread? Like feel your hands and your feet and how they're pressed into that mattress. Can you bring gratitude in that moment and start paying attention to your breath? Because I think we tap into the eternal now by paying attention. In fact, this guy, Guy Finley, says attention is the anchor of the now. See, there's two Greek words that are translated into time, chronos and kairos. And chronos refers to minutes and seconds. It refers to time as a measurable resource. And then kairos refers to an appointed time, an opportune moment, or a due season. So chronos refers to the finite game. It's counting, it's adding up. And kairos refers to the infinite and the eternal. It refers to opportunity, and it implies this moment has significance. In Eastern Orthodox churches, before their divine liturgy begins, the deacon exclaims to the priest in Greek, and I'm going to go ahead and do it in English. They say, it is time, kairos. It is time for the Lord to act. And they are indicating that this time of the liturgy is a recognized intersection with eternity. And so I say to you, it is time. Right here, right now, this moment and every moment is an intersection with eternity. So it is possible, as our scripture then speaks about, to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in everything. And it certainly does not mean never feel sorrow. That certainly does not imply day and night use words of prayer and thanks. No, Paul Tillich called that view a perversion of religion. He says, we are not to tell God without ceasing what we wish God to do for us or tell God what God has done for us. We are asked to rise to God always and in all things. We are invited to rise to the occasion of the present moment. Rise to the occasion of your present moments. And so if you are hearing me today, you are alive. Know that. And some of us are more alive than others, but we are living right now in the eternal now. We can never escape that now. So why not choose to live fully and choose to live mindfully in this moment? We do not truly live in the now when our minds are constantly on other things. 
Unless we are mindfully present from one moment to the next, we are not truly alive. Our attention, too, it must be non-discriminating. It has to be right here, not judging, right here and now. And remember, the rules of the playground are there aren't many rules except to enjoy it. Do not judge yourself or others. The goal is not to compete or achieve. The goal is to commune and to live. And so if we are to find any meaning and purpose in life, we must find the eternity in the now, that the now is omnipresence itself. So no wonder mystics and saints have referred to God as this eternal now or this eternal presence, because God eternally expresses God's self in its own being and in all things and as all things. There's this hymn that we haven't sung it in a while. We need to do it again. Carol Brusigar reminded me of it. It's called Immortal Invisible. And in it, it sings, In all life thou livest the true life of all. There is a true life, and it's one that we can tap into. So eternal life is the quality of our life. And then heaven can be every movement we make on behalf of love and thus on behalf of God. And hell can be the not seeing or every failure to love or to act on behalf of us and of God. And in our analyzing and judging and critiquing world, that is not a world of love. Can we recognize that? That is battleground and a finite game and not a playground and an infinite game. For us, Jesus, he is our example, and Jesus was the message of now. The only time Jesus talked about the future, he said, do not worry, do not worry. And the only time he seemed to talk about the past, he spoke of forgiveness, forgiveness. So I want the musicians to come back up today, and as they do, I want us to watch something together this beautiful video that Josh actually posted earlier this week, and it really speaks about this idea and it helped us to settle this idea in visually of eternity right now. What are you missing in your life? Watch this. The existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. There is no necessity for it whatsoever. It isn't going anywhere. That is to say, it doesn't have some destination that it ought to arrive at. But that it is best understood by analogy with music. Because music, as an art form, is essentially playful. We say, you play the piano. You don't work the piano. Why? Music differs from, say, travel. When you travel, you are trying to get somewhere. In music, though, one doesn't make the end of a composition the point of the the composition. If that were so, the best conductors would be those who played fastest. And there would be composers who wrote only finales. People go to concert just to hear one crashing chord, because that's the end. Same way in dancing. You don't aim at a particular spot in the room. That's where you should arrive. The whole point of the dancing is the dance. Now, but we don't see that as uh, something brought by our education into our everyday conduct. We've got a system of schooling which gives a completely different impression. It's all graded. And what we do is we put the child into the corridor of this grade system with a kind of, come on, kitty, kitty, kitty. And yeah, you go to kindergarten, you know, and that's a great thing because 
when you finish that, you'll get into first grade. And then come on, first grade leads to second grade and so on, and then you get out of grade school, you've got high school, and it's revving up, the thing is coming, then you're gonna to go to college, and by Jove, then you get into graduate school, and when you're through with graduate school, you go out to join the world. And then you get into some racket where you're selling insurance, and they've got that quota to make, and you're gonna make that, and all the time, the thing is coming. It's coming, it's coming, that great thing, the, the success you're working for. Then when you wake up one day about 40 years old, you say, my God, I've arrived. <laughs> I'm there. And you don't feel very different from what you always felt. Look at the people who live to retire and put those savings away. And then when they're 65, they don't have any energy left. They're more or less impotent. And uh, they go and rot in an old people's senior citizens community. <laughs> because we've simply cheated ourselves the whole way down the line. <clears throat> we thought of life by analogy with a journey, with a pilgrimage, which had a serious purpose at the end, and the thing was to get to that end, success or whatever it is, or maybe heaven after your death. But we missed the point the whole way along. It was a musical thing and you were supposed to sing or to dance while the music was being played. beginning. I should have danced with you because life is about to dance. And I missed that moment and I'm sorry. How rare and how beautiful that this thing called life is and that we would exist in this moment that we are meant to play and to sing and to dance. Never once in my life did I ask God for success or wisdom or power or fame. Abraham Heschel says I asked for wonder and God gave it to me. See, I and we, so often as we live as one who strives, right, we strive for success. At the end of the day, we lay down in our bed or we wake up and we're constantly grading ourselves. We're grading our tasks, our actions, our words. We grade ourselves. But then there are moments. There are moments and opportunities to dance and we find ourselves in the middle of the ocean or embraced by the one that we loved and we realize that we are not being graded for this. You are not being graded for this, that life is not a test from God. Life is a gift from God. 
recognize it and embrace it. In the book of Isaiah 28, the story goes that God is speaking to the people and God says, this is the time. This is the place to rest, to give the rest to the weary. This is the place to lay down your burden. And of all the things I want to say to you today is that life is too beautiful and enchanting to miss, friends. Lay down your burdens, relax, and rest. And so I want to do something unique today. I want to give an invitation, which is something that we don't normally do around here. But this, this is an invitation to your life. This is an invitation to the eternal life right now. And will you say yes to it? Will you say yes to your joy and yes to your sorrows? Will you say yes to this moment and feel your emotions and deal with your pain, but then at the right time, let go of all the things that will hold you back? We're gonna sing this song and I'm challenging you. Will you say yes to every moment, to every opportunity for growth? Will you say yes to change? Will you say yes to play? Will you say yes to being open and to being vulnerable? And finally, will you say yes to living open-heartedly, to living wholeheartedly, to living free? The question is, will you say yes to your life? Respond to that today and listen to this song.